stand together. I'm going to be looking in Philippians chapter 3 this morning for our morning message. And uh, I've called it simply Beware. Philippians chapter 3, uh, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord to write the same things to you. To me, indeed, is not grievous, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. May God bless the reading of his word today. It's my prayer. You may be seated. This is graduation weekend here in our state, in our city. And uh, let me just take a moment to express uh, my own personal congratulations to all of you for your accomplishments, some on the high school level, some college level, some graduate school level, at least one who obtained uh, a doctorate degree that I know of. And congratulations to all of you for your accomplishments. Do encourage you to be here tonight as we honor especially our high school graduates. And uh, uh, please, we'll have reception immediately following services, and that's a good thing. It, uh, as it's a wonderful time for us to celebrate all this, it's also a time for us to consider a message from God's Word that is somewhat uh, tailored toward those who are passing from one stage of life to another, especially I think about our high school graduates. You've lived for the last 18 years under the direct supervision, mostly, <laughs> of your parents. Uh, you made very few decisions independently of them. All of that is about to change. Uh, in just a few months, you'll be heading off in some direction, military service perhaps, or, or off to college. And you're going to enjoy an experience, a measure of freedom. With that freedom uh, also comes responsibility. And I hope this morning that we can look at these things that Paul the Apostle called us to long ago to beware. Not once, not twice, three times. He says, beware, beware. Uh, it should be almost instinctive to us as we look at these passages to understand that there must be some spiritual application of this. Surely, Paul is not warning us about little Fifi or Fido uh, although uh, some of the more uh, larger breeds of dogs certainly can be intimidating to us even today, uh, and rightly so, some more dangerous than others. It all depends on how they're raised. Uh, my first pet in life was uh, a dog named Tammy. She was a German shepherd. She was a threat only to someone who threatened me. And I saw that play out a couple of times. If she perceived somebody as a threat to me, even my own brother, uh, she would uh, move along that pretty quickly. Not sure why she was that way toward me, but she was. Uh, very smart, highly intelligent animals. We've uh, made pets out of them for many, many years. But uh, Paul is going to be talking about these things from a spiritual perspective. In each one of these names that he mentions, dogs, evil workers, and the concision, as he calls it, were all words that were used by the Jewish people in a derogatory manner to those people who were not Jewish, called in the Bible the Gentiles. 
Uh, humanity, you see, biblically speaking, was divided not according to a hundred different nationalities and several different races. or, or that, That's not the way the Bible looked at it. Uh, the Bible divides humanity into the Jew and the Gentile, that is, the Jewish people and everybody who isn't Jewish. Anti-Semitism is not new. Uh, it was present in the New Testament era as many, many people around the world hated the Jewish people. That is still true today. And in fact, I say it is growing in our world today. Sadly, it's growing even in our own country. A country that in many ways prides itself on its tolerance and its acceptance and who considers to racism to be the ultimate evil almost. And yet even in our country, there is a growing anti-Jewish sentiment. Personally, I think that is one of the characteristics of the last days that the Bible warns us about. And we could be just uh, seeing one more step in that direction. And I think we are. But don't think that the reverse wasn't also true. Certainly in the, in the first century world it was true because the Jewish people had a very hostile attitude toward those who were not Jewish as well. All of these words that they use, Paul mentions three of them, dogs, evil workers, the concision. Uh, they were all used of the Jewish people as slanderous words, mocking words, derogatory words, racially charged words against non-Jewish people. Uh, Paul then turns around to his audience and he kind of makes a play on words. He, he turns those around, if you will, because he is going to use those very words that the Jewish people use concerning the Gentiles and, and he would use them toward the Jews. The, specifically, those Jewish false teachers who were trying to attack the churches and lead them away from the truth of God. And so he warns them. He warns the Philippian church long ago against these three groups of people and the ideologies that he's going to use them to represent. And by bringing these messages to you today, I'm not telling you that we are facing in our world some Jewish false teachers that are going to try to attack you and attack your faith. Because that, for the most part, is not the case. However, the, the ideologies that he uses these to represent are out there and you will encounter them. And so it's my goal then to take these passages that the apostle puts before us from long ago and show us then how that there's something that even today we need to beware of. Beware of. And the first one is beware of dogs. Beware of dogs. Now, as a general rule, sorry to everybody that loves these little adorable pets, uh, the Bible does not speak in a generally favorable way concerning dogs. In the Old Testament, dogs, as well as all animals with paws, if they had four paws, they were unclean. That means they could not be eaten. They were not edible they were unclean, and they really weren't supposed to have a whole lot to do with them. They were unclean. And so they were very careful about dealing with these animals at all. 
They are used a couple of times in Scripture in a positive way. You might remember in the story of the rich man and Lazarus that Jesus taught. Uh, he talked about how the dogs would come and, and lick Lazarus' sores to give him a small measure, no doubt, of comfort. Uh, Jesus would use dogs in a story with a Gentile woman who came to him uh, complaining because her daughter... Uh, was possessed, grievously possessed by a demon spirit, begging Jesus to heal her. And Jesus responded with that parable, a story uh, about dogs. But he answered and said, It's not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Now, Jesus used that story to, uh, to simply make a point. Uh, you do not take the food that your children depend on for their survival and feed your animals with it. At least most people wouldn't do that. Uh, some people, you know, I've, I've seen a few folks who were really obsessed with their pets. But most people wouldn't take the food that their children needed for survival and feed it to their pets. And, and so Jesus used that to remind them and his audience and her that he was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And yet this Gentile woman pleaded and says, Yes, Lord, but don't even the dogs eat the crumbs. You see, that's something that makes sense to us. <laughs> How many of you have fed the food your kids won't eat to your dogs? How many of you have seen your kids turn their nose up and the dogs end up? You see why that passage is in the Bible? You see, Jesus came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, but they were turning their nose up at him and his teaching. And even this Gentile woman recognized that. She knew how they were treating Jesus. No wonder Jesus would say of her, oh, great is your faith. Great is your faith. She had figured something out. Lord, can't we have what they were rejecting? <laughs> and in fact, that was exactly how that story plays out in Scripture, isn't it? We are today the beneficiaries. Paul says it in the book of Romans uh, that uh, their rejection, that, that is the Jews' rejection, has brought this great message of salvation to the whole world. God turned then to the Gentiles who would hear. And we have. We have. It's a great story. So Jesus did use dogs one time in a favorable manner. A couple of times in the stories. But when they, when they spoke of the Gentiles as being dogs, it was not complimentary. And they used it to describe the way that dogs typically and all kinds of dogs, wolves, coyotes, dingoes, hyenas, and yes, even domestic dogs hunt in packs. They hunt in packs. And that's exactly why the Jews would speak of the Gentiles in a derogatory way because they considered them to be like a, a pack of, uh, of, of dogs attacking uh, and, and you can see them uh, as they lived in countries around the world, how they were surrounded by often hostile crowds. And, and, and they never seemed to just face one. And it was very powerful and very intimidating to them. They found themselves then facing that pack mentality. And let me tell you something today, brothers and sisters in Christ, when we leave these 
building, these facilities, they would go through these doors and go out into the world. You're facing a pack mentality today. You might find that pack at work. You might find, most certainly find that pack at school. You might face that pack certainly when you go on the college campus. You might face it even in your everyday interactions with other people as you go to places where others hang out and, and where they're around. You'll face a, a pack of, of those people who are steeped in the conventional wisdom of this world. They have decided for themselves what is correct and what is incorrect. And that is determined by, by the pack, by the crowd. And you will face a concerted effort then to try to make you fit in with the crowd. It's very strong, very well organized, very powerful. They're very good at what they do. They're out to use fear, intimidation, mockery, ridicule. If one thing doesn't work, they'll try another. And all designed for the same thing. To get you to turn away from your faith and start believing like everybody else believes and behaving. We'll talk more about that in the next point. Like everyone else behaves because they see your Christian faith very much. As something that needs to be put down, put out, extinguished, and put away as some antiquated way of thinking that doesn't fit in in the modern world. You're going to face a pack as you go out into the world. So I think this warning is, is very appropriate for us today. I had the privilege of going to Romania a few years ago, not long after the walls came down and, and we were able to go over there. They were still very much recovering at that time. I went up into the northern uh, part of Romania, wasn't down in Bucharest or some of the other areas around the south that we're more familiar with. I, I was working with uh, some folks who were up in the northern part of the country, uh, somewhat isolated. They had a group of pastors there, very rural areas and if you've been to Romania, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, everybody drives however they want to. Uh, watch out for the horse-drawn carts <laughs> because they're there too. Um, visited with Brother Dan. He was the pastor there. Uh, he had been there, pastor of a Baptist church in the Baptist Union. Yes, not all of them were bad. Uh, he had been there uh, back under the communist regime. I asked him what it was like. He had actually been imprisoned four times uh, during that tenure, mostly because he was caught having too many Bibles on hand. You see, legally, you could have one. If you had any more than that, they'd put you in jail. Being a pastor, of course, he had a lot. A couple of times he preached something the government didn't like. Yes, he preached every Sunday with a government monitor sitting out there who was taking notes on everything that he said. Ask him, aside from the obvious, being put in prison, what else did they use to try to intimidate them as Christians and put them down? He said, well, if you were a Christian family and you knew it, the government would not let your kids go to college. Higher education was out. They would not. 
Unless you knew somebody and could bribe somebody, he said, you could not, as a Christian, expect your children to be educated. If by some amazing method then you were able to get your children educated, that they had no hope of landing a good job or of advancing, he said, the way forward in their world was through communism. And if you were an objector, he said, not just a Christian, but any kind, but if, unless you would go through that government-sanctioned path, you couldn't go forward. If, if we were facing that kind of intimidation today as Christians, how many of us would still go to church every Sunday? How many of us? would still be reading the Bible? How many of us would still put on our Facebook page that we are Christians, that we're children of God, that we're missionaries? If we knew that it would cost us our education, cost us any ability to get a good job, we may not be that far away from that. Already in our own country, People are being fired because they had Christian messages on their Facebook page. It's happening. And not just fired from governmental positions. It's, it's happening. We may not be that far away. You see, the pack is real. <laughs> and, and their goal is intimidation. Now, they can't stop what you believe, and they know it. Uh, they just want you to keep it to yourself. But that is the very antithesis of the Christian faith and message. You do understand that. That Jesus didn't send us with the great commission saying, go out and get saved and keep it to yourself. He said, go out and make disciples of all nations. He was serious about it. We've been doing it ever since. And we must not stop. But the pack is real. And if Paul warned the church at Philippi about it, we must be warned as well. Understand that you face it. Understand it's probably going to get worse. Be ready for it. Make up your mind ahead of time. Don't wait until they're scratching around in your yard or at your door to decide what you're going to do. Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, Paul told us, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I can tell you that as a pastor, I have to worry about what might happen to American Christianity when the heat is really turned up. I can only hope that we will do better dealing with persecution than we're doing at dealing with distractions. You know what I mean? Because we let a lot of things these days distract us, pull us away from our service of the Lord. But I'm hoping that that natural inclination we have, that if somebody tells me we can't do it, ah, I'll show you, it might be the best thing ever happened to us. Uh, 
Christianity has done a lot better in its history of dealing with persecution than it has of dealing with prosperity. So we'll all see, we'll all see together, but just understand the pack is real. We face a, a pack mentality out there, and it tries to intimidate us and push. Beware, beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers, the second group. As you go out into the world, then you must beware of those who are evil workers. He used a very interesting uh, concept here because he's talking about people who have evil as their business. Uh, they're professional evil workers. Uh, I had an interesting conversation one time with a young man who very candidly told me when I began to ask him if he did anything, you know, did he do anything to make money? You know, how do you, how do you get by? And, and, uh, and he very candidly, uh, looked at me. I, it was one of those times I wish we'd have had a policeman around because he very candidly says, well, you know, I pick up phones. And he kind of laughed. And I said, what do you mean? You help people find their phones? He said, well, you could say that. He said, kind of smile. Now, at that moment in time, I got a little bit hostile. I must confess because my son lost two phones the first two weeks he was on college campus. He'd lay them down, and they just walked away. And I'm the one, of course, that had to pay for those things, so I find phones for a living. It was interesting. Very candid. My business, he said, is doing evil. He was not alone. There's a whole lot of them in the world that we live in. I mean, they are professional evil doers. They do evil. That's what they do. It is the essence of their life is doing what's wrong. They have a simple objective. Uh, they will either, uh, they either want to recruit you or they want to take advantage of you or some combination of both. Their business uh, is evil. Paul had talked about these before in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 13. For such are false apostles, deceitful workers, same almost exact construction, who transform themselves into the apostles of Christ. And no marvel, for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Therefore, it's no great thing if his ministers also be transformed as a minister of righteousness. You know, it's one thing. If you face a worker of evil that looks like Darth Vader. You know. Um, he's out to recruit you to the dark side. It's pretty obvious. Uh, but most of the recruiters to the dark side don't look like Darth Vader. They look like angels of light. They look like apostles, teachers. Most of them look really good, very professional, very smart, very intelligent. Make no mistake about it, though. Just because they look good does not mean that they aren't recruiting you toward the work of evil. And let me tell you something about these folks. They don't care for you at all. Not a bit. Uh, they will take the very life away from you. They will bleed you for everything they can get out of you and laugh at you when they leave you in their wake with nothing. They are professional evil workers. 
They might be preachers, they might be teachers, they might be professors, but don't be fooled. Paul said, be careful because these people are in a business of evil. They're out to recruit you over to the forces of evil. Paul said in Ephesians 4 and 17, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind, having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. They have no conscience. Brothers and sisters, these evil workers, none. 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 Whatever conscience they had has long since been pushed aside so that they might pursue lewdness and uncleanness with greediness. It's a tough world out there. You're going to face some very professional workers of evil. Learn to be careful. Beware. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Lastly, beware of mutilators. Uh, the New King James has this, beware of the mutilation. The old one calls it concision. You might think it's something about circumcision. It's not. The Greek word for circumcision means to cut around, uh, to cut in a circle. Uh, this means to cut down. It simply refers to something that is cut off. And uh, so he's describing those spiritual cutters, those people, and certainly that was an insult to the Jews uh, who liked to call uh, the Gentiles uh, by the word uncircumcision. That's what one of the words they called them, Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 11, that they routinely referred to the people of other nations as the uncircumcision. And, and to them, uh, those who were righteous and right with God were those who had the right of circumcision. Uh, but Paul turns that around on them in the very next verse. In verse 3, he said, For we are the circumcision which worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. We now are the ones who are right with God. Uh, the fact that uh, they were uncircumcised or circumcised had no point in that at all. And so what he describes then are the spiritual cutters. Those who, maybe not with a knife, but who come against you. And what they're out to do is to cut your faith to shreds. To cut your faith to shreds. It is your fundamental belief system that they want to do surgery on. That they want to cut off and destroy, mutilate they want to so cut up your faith, cut up your belief in the Bible, cut up your allegiance to the church, cut up your connection to your parents as your spiritual guides and mentors. Uh, they want to cut you off, separate you from your belief system that you've had in the past and leave that in tatters in your mind. They're good at what they do. They were good at it in Paul's day. That's exactly what these Jewish false teachers were doing. They were coming to assassinate, to cut up, to cut to shreds. Their belief system based in Jesus Christ pushed them back to the belief system that was founded in Moses. That, that's what that was about then. But today it, it, it's, it's a different thing. 
I, w- I wish that I could tell you today that the, the biggest threat that you were going to have uh, was from someone who tries to convince you uh, that uh, uh, your faith is not properly founded because you didn't pray to the right name when you prayed to God. I, I, I wish I could say to you today that that was the only, not, not that that isn't a threat, but that's not the only threat. I wish I could say to you today that the biggest threat that you're going to have is a person who's going to attack your belief system because they're going to tell you that you haven't uh, heard or embraced uh, the fact that Jesus sent, that God sent a New Testament, a new revelation of His truth that was particularly designed for Americans, that it was given to His prophet named Joe Smith, and because you don't know that testament, Your faith is inadequate. I wish I could say that those were the worst spiritual cutters that you were going to face. But but it's not. It's not at all. Um, Today, these people are out to shred your belief in the Bible itself. They're out to shred your belief in God. To shred those foundational principles of your life that lets you see the world as under God's authority and see the world as headed toward a specific event and that event being the second coming of Christ. To shred your belief that there is a heaven to gain, that there is a hell to avoid and that the only way to avoid hell and to gain heaven Is by believing on the Lord Jesus Christ who suffered and bled and died for your salvation. They want to shred that. Next week I'll be preaching on the subject of Abraham and his offering of Isaac on the altar. I mentioned that this morning because former President Obama once cited that in a speech that he gave uh, where he rather handily ridiculed those who were holding on to their Bibles and other things in a way that he didn't consider to be proper. And he actually made fun of how that Abraham was told by God to offer his son on the altar, kill his son. And that is actually one of the more favorite stories that these modern spiritual cutters like to use against people to attack your faith in the Bible. Is the Bible, do you believe that? Do you believe that? Well, yes, as a matter of fact, I do believe that. But see, when they ridicule that, they're ignorant of the context. You see, they don't know that Abraham uh, lived and, and carried on his life surrounded by pagan people all around whose gods regularly told them to offer their kids on the altar. Happened all the time. They didn't bat an eyelash. High priest come along and said, hey, bring your child up here. We're going to kill him. They did it. And so for God to bring Abraham alongside, bring me your son, but then stay his hand, wow, those people would say. Your God doesn't require you to kill your kids. You see, God never intended for that to happen. Abraham knew it. When Isaac said, Lord, our father, where's the sacrifice? What did Abraham say? You're it. No, he didn't. He said, God will provide himself a lamb, and he did. 
Writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that was the whole point all along. We know that. See, the problem's not with the Bible. The problem is that people don't understand the fundamental rule of biblical interpretation, and that is that the Bible always has a context. And understanding it requires us to understand that it was written many times. I mean, these things were centuries ago in countries with far different cultures than we have today. And many of the things that we read that seem so strange to us made perfect sense back then. But I'm giving you this morning a prime example. Here's a passage where somebody could pull it up and say, well, the Bible says beware of dogs. Well, let me tell you, do you have a dog? Well, sure I did. Do you love your dog? Well, sure I did. Well, the Bible tells you you can't have a dog. Oh, surely that doesn't go on. That goes on every day, that kind of thing. You understand what I'm saying? You see, the spiritual cutters, the mutilators are very real. They're out to shred your faith. They want to hack it and cut it to pieces. And they're good at what they do. Beware of them. The answer, of course, to that is to be very well acquainted with the Word of God. Because, you see, the spiritual mutilators love to find people who, though they might have been raised in church, they never really learned the Scriptures. They never really learned how to interpret them. And quite frankly, the spiritual mutilators will see you as an easy mark. And so I challenge you young people, whether you are graduating from high school or graduating from college, whether you're a graduate or whether you're not so young anymore, I challenge you, if you don't know much about the Bible, learn. I would love to help you. I would love. I'd like to think that what we do when I preach to you and your Sunday school teacher teaches you a lesson and I do it again Sunday night and I do it again Wednesday night, I would like to think that that's all you need. But the fact is, all I'm doing is reinforcing what you have to do for yourself. I can help you. But you need a lot more than I will ever be able to give you in these 30 minutes or so. You need a solid foundation. And the Word of God gives you that. Beware of dogs. Beware of the pack mentality out to intimidate and threaten you. Force you into whatever it is that the conventional wisdom calls you to be. Beware of evil workers, the professional workers of evil. Evil is their business. They want to attract you to their evil lifestyle. They want to use you in every way that they can use you. And when they're done with you and you're left empty, they'll be gone and you'll be alone. I hope you'll be alive. Don't put yourself in that position. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the knife-wielding mutilators who want to cut your faith to shreds. Don't let them. What do we do? Well, Paul will go on in the book of Philippians to talk about how that he had counted some things. He says, uh, not that I had confidence in the flesh. He said, I, I, we don't want you to have confidence in the flesh. That, that, that's the way that you walk with the Lord. You don't depend on yourself, you depend on Him. And he would go through this long list because he said, if anybody had a right to depend on the flesh, it was me. 
And he gives a long list of everything that was true about him from his birth right on down to his time. But he says, I counted all those things but loss and count them but dumb, refuse. That I might win Christ. That I might know him and the power of his resurrection and be made conformable unto his death. So we center our attention on Christ and his word. And we keep our eyes open because there's a lot of things out there to beware of. But all that presupposes, of course, that you know Jesus Christ as your Savior. And if you've never come to that place in your life where you renounced your own self and and the abilities of your flesh and your fleshly accomplishments, as if you could somehow hold that up to God and he'd say, yep, you've done good enough, I'll let you in. Uh, You see, being saved brings us to the end of ourself and we see that Jesus Christ is the one who paid the price for our sins and forsaking myself then, repenting of my sins. I turn to him in faith and believe in what he did when he died on the cross for my sin. Has there come that time then when you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, confessed to him your faith in him, called on him to be your savior, to forgive you of your sins? If you haven't done that, please do today. Please do. Have you followed him in baptism? That's your public profession of your faith. That time when we say to the world, I've decided to follow Jesus. Are you a part of a New Testament community of believers that the Bible calls the church? Have, have you joined a church? Are you actively involved in it? Have you made that commitment? Maybe today, then, is the time for you to be saved. Maybe today is the time for you to follow him in baptism. Maybe today is the time for you to make that commitment. Maybe you say, well, you know, Brother Rich, I, um, I wasn't on guard enough. I got sucked in by the evil workers. I've had some people who've shredded my faith, and I don't know what to believe anymore. Maybe, maybe, I, maybe you're one of those that... Uh, You've been influenced by the pack. Got caught up in it. Maybe you've even been running with it. Don't think God's through with you this morning, brothers and sisters in Christ. He's not. He saved you. If you're saved, He's still your Savior. And He's calling you. Your very presence here this morning tells you that He is calling you. He's not through with you. Come back. You'll find him waiting with open arms. Let's stand together, please.